Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Patronus. Today we will be discussing how intention affects the Patronus spell, Lupin's character so far, and the morality of the Dementor's kiss. So this chapter starts out with Harry and Ron still very mad at Hermione for um, talking to McGonagall about the firebolt. Oliver Wood keeps ha- asking Harry about, has he gotten a new broom yet? And Harry tells him about the firebolts, um, but also that he cannot use it yet. Meanwhile, classes in the new term have started. Hagrid seems happier, and Trelawney starts the divination class on palmistry, um, reading Harry's lifeline as incredibly short. In Defense Against the Dark Arts, Lupin looks sick, and Hermione says isn't it obvious why he is sick, but doesn't elaborate. Then Harry starts getting Patronus lessons from Lupin, so he tells Harry about what the Patronus charm is and how it's useful against Dementors, um, and that you need a happy memory in order to cast it correctly. During these lessons, the screams that Harry hears that are his mother's are getting worse, And when he discusses this with Lupin, he finds out that Lupin knew James Potter. On his third attempt, Harry changes the memory that he's thinking of to um, the day that he found out from Hagrid that he was a wizard and he was going to be leaving the Dursleys. On that attempt, he actually does manage to cast something sort of like a silvery mist, um, which does help him uh, delay the Dementor's effect on him. Lupin also admits that he and Sirius Black knew each other in school. Meanwhile, the Slytherin Quidditch team beats Ravenclaw, um, and Wood is happy about this because it means that if Gryffindor beats Ravenclaw, then they'll be in second place. Wood is also really concerned about Harry's broom situation, and so he wants him to order another one before the match. Lubin explains to Harry that the Dementors can give what is called a kiss to Black, which is sucking out a person's soul. Lupin is very skeptical of this practice, and they discuss what that entails. Harry gets the firebolt back from McGonagall, and she said that there were no curses in it. Um, Hermione seems relieved, but also feels like she did the right thing because it could have been cursed. Meanwhile, Neville uh, lost a list of passwords that he wrote down to keep track of Sir Cadagan's constantly changing passwords. Harry lets Ron take the firebolt up to the dorm one evening, and when he gets up there, he notices that there are bloody sheets around his bed, um, and Scabbers is missing, and he comes down accusing Hermione, accusing Crookshanks of eating Scabbers. So the Patronus charm is the subject of this chapter, and I'd say it's a, it's a fixation of a lot of people in the fan community. It's this really fascinating idea that you can project happy memories into a magical spell and that it takes a corporeal form or that it can take a corporeal form. Um, so a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, what would my Patronus be, mm-hmm. etc. Um, it's a lot of fun for people. I, in fact, wrote an essay about this topic a long time ago when I was arguing that Patronuses are essentially a representation of magical familiars. So it's like a projection of your own um, character traits, uh, but in, in an animal form. Um, but so Lupin explains basically what a Patronus is. It's essentially just a bundle of happy, positive emotion um, that is a guardian or a shield between the caster and the Dementor, which is essentially um, 
a negative force that feeds off of um, positive memories, but it can't feed off of the Patronus, so it kind of just is stuck there. Yeah, I think that um, this goes along really well with what we've discussed in terms of Dementors representing depression or trauma or sort of negative mental health that sucks people down. Um, And I think that even though it may be a more simplified version, I think that it's really interesting that what counteracts that is happy memories and reminding Mm -hmm. yourself of the positive times you've had in your life and reminding yourself that you are more than that feeling and that this is not really you. It's something outside of yourself. Yeah. Um, And I think that that is a really cool way that a spell can work. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think it's also a clue that magic is more than just waving a wand and saying a spell. Right. You have um, to have intention. Intention is the key. Yeah. And and we'll learn that next book regarding like the unforgivable curses as well, that you have to mean it. I think I think that actually speaks to like a deeper part of what magic is in this series. It does I think most spells require that kind of intention behind it. Um, that it's not just like the words have power. It's that you're giving them power through your intention. Um, and so that it's sort of a mental channeling of energy. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how it works, but that seems to me more likely than just the Latin, like gobbledygook Latin uh, has power in itself. Yeah. And I mean, thinking about, right, the unforgivable curses and how you have to mean them. I mean, all that stuff is really important. And I think that it, that kind of goes to a question that I had about this chapter, which is mm-hmm. that um, when they're practicing, they're practicing with a bogart because Harry's greatest fear right now is Dementors, and so a Lupin knows that this will be an effective way to practice. And it's not really explicitly said um, mm. how Bogarts work, but I'm wondering, um, what do you think? Do you think that Bogart is actually turning into a Dementor and that has the powers of a Dementor if left unchecked? Um, because, or is Harry having kind of a placebo reaction to? seeing the Dementor and then he's having the same reaction that he would have? Or does the Bogart now have this power? It's right. not really clear. I think it's it's really complicated because it seems not possible for a Bogart to just assume all of the powers of any creature that it turns into. Right. For example, you know, if if you were really afraid of a Basilisk, the Bogart could turn into a Basilisk and then instantly kill you right. with its eyes. So that doesn't really seem possible <laughs> no it wouldn't really um, work out but i do think that the bogart can assume some powers maybe the minor powers of the creature that it mm-hmm. turns into so let's let's assume that that's true in this case that would mean the bogart could assume the sort of passive um powers of the dementor meaning that it it sort of affects your feelings af- and- drains you of happiness mm-hmm. and makes you feel despair it can call back your worst memories um those aren't really like incredibly powerful things and it doesn't compare to the dementor's kiss so i'm assuming that the bogart can't actually perform the dementor's kiss but it can do that more passive i think that makes sense so nothing nothing that you could make the bogart turn into could actually physically hurt you but it could make you feel some residual like effects or sort of the side effects of what that would be and i'm not sure like it may be that a bogart can hurt people. Um, we don't really know. It, that's the thing. Yeah. But, like, for example, when Lupin uh, sees the bogart turn into the moon, he doesn't turn into a werewolf. Right. So the power is limited. 
And and I'm curious because Lupin, you know, in that first lesson, he said, well, I intervened because I didn't want the bugger to turn into Lord Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Would it have been like Lord Voldemort with his powers, like right. ability to cast spells? Can buggerts cast spells? Right. Um, or, and, or is it just the or image would it just would be, be the scary. form yeah. of Voldemort? Yeah. So that's, that's the real question because clearly it's not just the form. Um, they do have some of the power because the bugger does affect Harry in the same way that a Dementor would. And it's not just the placebo effect. No. I, I mean, it's it leads into this kind of complicated um, struggle that's going on within Harry in this chapter and throughout this whole process, which is um, not wanting to be affected by the Dementors and wanting to fight them. Right. Um, and, you know, have an affected Patronus, but he also wants to hear more of his parents' voices and get more of his memories back from that time. And even though he's hearing kind of the worst moments of their lives and his life, he still is hearing more of them than he's ever heard before. And also hearing their, like, love and protection of him. And it's very complicated. And I think it's, you know, can feel almost sadistic in a way of, like, wanting to, or masochistic, I guess, to want to feel, like, the pain of that. But I think that... um, it is very complicated and that's also a lot of the ways that trauma works in general so i think that that's i don't know it's interesting and harry definitely pretty much openly struggles with this to the reader yeah and it makes it really complicated for him right because on the one hand he's trying to learn this defense so that he can protect himself so that he can stop viewing himself as really weak you know to dementors to their Mm -hmm. power um, because they have such an effect on him. And on the other hand, it's really compelling to, yeah, as you were saying, hear his parents' voices. And I think that actually is kind of um, a metaphor in some ways for how um, inviting it can be to sort of give in to despair for some people yeah, yeah. when they're in really difficult situations and everything's going wrong. You know, it's hard to hold on to hope and and think that things are going to get better. It's It's a lot easier more inviting in some ways to just kind of give up and embrace the despair and that's definitely how harry feels here he's struggling between wanting wanting to feel that um the despair and like horrifying you know trauma of his parents deaths but also he wants to be able to be rid of that if he wants to yeah and it's also the idea of wanting in a traumatic way wanting to go back um and even though he was a baby and there's no way he could have changed anything, but kind of hearing things and like almost hoping that somehow it'll turn out differently or thinking about what could have been done. And especially especially in this book when he's learning about Sirius and at this point is believing that Sirius betrayed them. Right, I think it's right. very tempting to go back and think like this didn't have to happen and this is why. Um, and then we also find out that Lupin – not only knew James, but knew Sirius. And so what are we kind of getting at about Lupin's character in this chapter? What are, what more are we learning about him? Well, I think it, it really reinforces that he's a very compassionate man and mm-hmm. a really good teacher, an effective teacher. Um, he clearly cares very much about Harry and wanting him to, to be happy and successful with this. He also, you know, he understands that the Patronus is an incredibly difficult spell to cast and he he tells harry over and over like don't beat yourself up if you can't do this right many many advanced wizards have never conjured patronus in their lives um and so you know he's he's really trying to be supportive but also to say like you know we can take a break we can end it here for now like Mm -hmm. we can come back next week you know all this stuff 
Um, so I think that's that's one of the things, and and he's definitely a top two like best defense against the dark arts teachers. Oh, for sure. Um, him and Imposter Moody, I think, are <laughs> the best. Uh, and yeah, the other thing is that he he clearly was fond of James. He said they were friends. Mm-hmm. Um, Harry doesn't really follow up on that, except that he asks about Sirius because Harry knows that they were friends too. Um, and Lupin seems very embarrassed about this and, and yeah. sort of he like lashes out for just like a second and then he like kind of collects himself. So I think it, it's really that there's a lot of like residual angst within that friend group. You know, everybody kind of thinks that everybody else was the spy. Mm-hmm. Um, no one's really sure what to think about each other. And um, at this point, it's only... Lupin that's out in the in the cold that doesn't know what happened because Sirius Black would have put two and two together and Peter Pettigrew obviously knew all along which one of them was the spy right so Lupin is still trying to figure it out and he still has a lot of really complicated emotions betrayed and yeah all this stuff but we also hear some of his thoughts around um the Dementor's kiss in general and then also maybe hinting at what he might feel mm. about Sirius receiving that punishment. Um, so I think that in my mind, and I don't think I'm the only one, but I think I think of the kiss as a basically a death penalty sentence mm-hmm. um, because you are not physically dying, but you don't have a soul and you are basically not... a as if you're in a vegetative state almost is what I imagine it afterwards to be. Right. But um, but worse than that, because you have some sort of feeling of like loss, I think, of your soul and what you have. I mean, we don't know a lot about it. We don't know anything about it, so it's really pointless to speculate. But, but I think it's that idea of like you're alive, but only technically and um, you are being having you are having the ultimate punishment. So I think that we see that this kind of fate worse than death um, penalty that the kiss um, entails or that we're hearing about, we see that Lupin is not sure about this. He's hesitant in talking about it. Um, And I think I I imagine that even if he believes that Sirius did betray James, I think that he still feels that he should not deserve the kiss ultimately and that nobody does. that's the, that's the sense that I get from him. Yeah, I think I think we're getting a sense from Lupin that like he really doesn't like dementors at all. No. And that he thinks that this this kiss, this punishment is not something that people should ever do. No. That nobody deserves it. Um and Harry being young and and brash and sort of hot-headed insists that Sirius Black does deserve it. Um, and when Lupin presses him on that, he says, yeah, like for some things it, yeah. it is appropriate. Um, but I definitely fall on, on Lupin's side with this. Like, you know, the, the risk that you end up executing an innocent person or, uh, you know, in, in the case of the next book where we do see someone get, uh, the kiss, it's like that person could have testified against other people mm-hmm. could have testified to what happened the part the plot that he was a part of right that now he can't and that ends up being pivotal because um when barty crouch jr is administered the kiss he then is unable to testify again to the wizengamot about the plot against uh 
or, or for resurrecting Voldemort that he was part of. Right. The whole right. conspiracy. Now he can't testify. So the ministry gets to pretend like nothing happened, that he was just a crazy loon acting independently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Harry is making the whole story up. Now there's nothing to verify it. Right. So that ends up being really um, significant in that way. And I think that we have to take into account what we obviously know about Lupin's status, being a werewolf, um, which I think influences his thoughts on, you know, morality and um, what people deserve and all of this stuff. Um, so we're, it's also interesting because Hermione has clearly figured it out. She says it's obvious, but she does not talk to them, partly because they're not on good terms, but I think she also does not want to reveal to anyone um, what she's found out. Yeah, I think that's true. I think she's just kind of baiting them because she's mad, but also, like, she wouldn't have told them anyway. No, I don't think so. Um, So we'll talk about Hermione more in a second, but I think that the idea that Lupin is something that people think is terrifying and evil and definitely should probably not be a professor um, and shouldn't maybe be allowed to exist, um, definitely not a good person, Um, I think that he has a lot of thoughts around you know, what people might deserve because he, through no fault of his own, is now in this position where he's become something that he doesn't want. But as we said, you kind of have to blame his parents a little bit for naming him that. (laughs) Very true, very true. So Hermione, again, checking in on Hermione. We got to keep checking in on her every chapter now. Checking Um, in on Hermione. (laughs) Again, no one puts it together that she's, you know, having these issues around her classes and just seems like she's doing terribly um and i think it's convenient and obviously intentional on rowling's part that they have this conflict with hermione right now because they're around her less and they're mad at her so they're not noticing how terribly she's doing right and and uh, it is important to point out that as we've said with all of these kind of like harry or ron bringing up her classes and then like boom something happens to completely distract mm-hmm. them all from this that's very intentional by the author and it's because if they thought about it for more than two seconds they would realize this is it's not, not possible, possible. Right. some Something's something has to be out. happening with this um so in this case you know it's harry talking to hermione and he i forget what he says exactly but he notices something is wrong with your class schedule or yeah. whatever um and then ron comes running down the stairs with scabbers sheets right with blood all over them or whatever so it's a very direct uh distraction yeah. from that and about that issue so we have a couple of foreshadowing moments at the end of this chapter some that will be revealed mm-hmm. shortly so one is that um we hear that neville has lost his list of passwords he's not able to get in because he doesn't have the list and he doesn't remember them um we will talk next chapter about who finds that list and also, just knowing that what actually happened here was not that Crookshanks ate or attacked Scabbers, um, but that uh, Pettigrew, as Scabbers, faked his own death to try to run away. Right. I think sensing that Black was closing in on him or yes. something, he decides to make a run for it. Um, so this is kind of him doing what he does best, right? Mm-hmm. Like we already, if we've read the book before, we know that um, Pettigrew cuts off his finger and then like blows uh the street up and then disapparates right um in in the confrontation with Sirius black you know 12 years ago or whatever um so this is the second time he's done something like that where he fakes his own death makes it look like someone else killed him and then runs away right the leaving ginger hairs thing i think was a good um choice by him because it 
Ron is already predisposed to believe that Crookshanks mm-hmm. is is harassing him and attacking him. So it just kind of lends credence to that idea. And even Harry says, like, you know, on the preponderance of the evidence that they have, it really does look like it was Crookshanks. It does. And that's definitely what he says, on the preponderance of the evidence that we have. Um, one thing I'm wondering, though, is kind of the mechanics of this. Like, did he change into his human form and then somehow get Crookshanks' hair? I'm sure he just, like, stole some of Crookshanks' hair from around. I mean, there's probably tons of it all over the place. He that's shed, true. He sheds a lot. And then, you know, presumably... Uh, he could just kind of like cut himself, rub some of the blood on the sheets, and then just like scamper away. I mean, he's a rat. He can hide. Yeah. He can hide pretty he's much pretty anywhere. Good at that. Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and the Patronus. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've talked about today, especially Harry's Patronus lessons with Lupin, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we fly through Chapter 13, Gryffindor vs. Ravenclaw. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox.